Locked On NBA, the biggest story is the local experts. Today on Locked On NBA, we go to Phoenix to speak with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns about Phoenix taking a 3-1 lead over the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. We go to Portland to speak with Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about the hiring of Chauncey Billups and the report from Chris Haynes about Damian Lillard's future. And lastly, we go to Milwaukee to speak with Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks about Milwaukee's Game 3 victory on Sunday. It's all coming up. The biggest story is the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app and find one of our Locked On rooms over there. Now, we've got lots to talk about here in the NBA, so let's get to it. Now let's talk to the host of the Locked On Suns podcast. Brendan Clean is here to talk to us about Phoenix going up three games to one in the Western Conference Finals. Game five heads back to Phoenix. Brendan, um, how surreal does this feel at this point to be uh, to have Phoenix in prime position to make the NBA Finals? Incredibly. I mean, you look around betting odds and they are in the minuses, like the outright favorite to win the finals out of the four teams remaining, in addition to being just a game away from clinching their spot in the finals and have won games in, in all number of ways. They're, they're selling, they're selling out or close to selling out the arena for these road rallies where people are just watching games on the jumbotron inside of the building and the city is 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 galvanized behind this team. It is not something I thought I would be saying here at the end of June. Yeah, it's uh, it is a surprise, obviously, but they were awesome throughout the season. The number two seed in the Western Conference, like a game behind the Jazz for the one seed. Um, it's not like it's a complete. It was a surprise if you said before the season, yeah, this is where they're going to be. But the way they played throughout the year, now they've just continued that form in the playoffs. And just as they're recording this um, news coming out, the Kawhi Leonard will not play in Game Five. Not that that's really a surprise, but that has been confirmed. He is remaining in LA and uh, might be remaining in LA into the beginning of next season. With the way that this is going now, game game four, it was pretty ugly. Brendan, thirty six percent shooting for Phoenix, thirty three percent for the Clippers. Like that, that is not particularly good. But as you said, like Phoenix showing that they can win in multiple different ways, and I guess the standout performance in game four would have to be DeAndre Ayton, who copped quite a bit of criticism, I think, during the regular season for some of his pacificity, which I can never say that word properly, but yeah, an inability to get to the line, settling for floaters, and just not really being uh, an impactful offensive force. But he has really turned his game to a new level throughout the playoffs, and in particular in Game 4. Yeah, Aiton has been the most consistent player in, in Games 3 and 4 when um, Booker and Paul have, have shot below 50%, I mean, dramatically below 50% between the two of them and with, with the mask and the, the nose break for Booker and the rustiness coming back from the health and safety protocol for Chris Paul, this team has really needed the rim pressure, the inside scoring, the offensive rebounding, just the sort of gritty ways that Aiton has figured out to score. This is not a guy who gets the ball in the post. And yet, you know, he's been a consistent double, double guy this entire run. So 22 rebounds, nine on the offensive glass, four blocks, Yesterday was really his crowning achievement on Saturday night, winning 
game four in large part because of him. So they're going to need that in, in the finals, no matter who they play. And it's, it's a great sight to see for a guy whose development has been pretty up and down. He's really answered a lot of questions. Well, we're definitely going to have you back on uh, if the Suns do make it into the NBA Finals to discuss that. So let's not look ahead too much to, to those matchups. Let's look at what you know, Game 5 is going to bring. Because the, the Clippers, they've fought back already in two series. They're not going to be giving up down three games to one. So what do what do Phoenix need to do, I guess, to help secure this victory? What do they need to be on the lookout for here against the Clippers in Game 5? I would say the main thing is we haven't gotten an incredible Paul George game. We haven't gotten, you know, the the guy we saw in game six against Utah, for instance, with the backs, their backs against the wall and, and without Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if the minutes load and the responsibility that George is, is having to carry, especially in a road game five, if, if that's reasonable to expect something where he's playing 40-something minutes defending Booker or Paul for most of that and scoring efficiently, that's pretty Herculean, but that would be um, the obvious place to go, the best player having a great game. But other than that, we still, for some reason, have not seen Ty Lue really lay into the small ball that has helped the Clippers all playoffs and all season, and really ever since they got these two wing superstars. So I know they don't have Leonard it doesn't look like Marcus Morris is is still feeling 100%, but that seems to me to be something where if if they really get desperate, we, we probably have to see that because it's the only thing left to try, really. Zubats has been really effective, but I think that the Suns have ways of scoring when he's in the game because of Aiton being a little quicker and more athletic and the two guards being able to shoot from the mid-range. So I would think... We'll see more of that Batum Morris front court tonight, and and maybe it works. How's Chris Paul looking? Two games back from his bout with COVID, uh, didn't shoot particularly well, like everybody in Game Four. But how's he uh, settling back in? And you have know, high minutes load in those two games as well. Yeah, heavy minutes. I don't think that's necessarily ideal. But you're also dealing with Cameron Payne having a right ankle sprain. He only played four minutes in Game Three. Came back surprisingly to be the sixth man off the bench for the Suns in game four, but 20 minutes and didn't do much five points and three assists. So they've had to lot lean on Paul and he hasn't necessarily given them, you know, enough, but they've also won the, the games that they needed to in this series and game four being one of them. So I think the main thing to look for with him is can he at least make the defense respect him enough to dish some assists out, limit his turnovers. He, had four, which is uncharacteristically high for him during this playoff run. So if he can at least make some mid-range shots, get his teammates involved, and work the pick and roll a little bit, I think the Suns should have a better offensive night than they did in game four. Last thing before I let you go, Brendan, is Devin Booker. We mentioned he's dealing with the the broken nose at the moment, but I I do think that Booker's play, I'm not sure if it's being fully... I don't know. I don't know if respect is, is the right word, but I don't think it's necessarily getting the, the level of um, attention that it deserves throughout these playoffs. Like, you know, so many people, and I know that Suns fans get really frustrated. At this, oh, you know, the Chris Paul's the MVP because he's dragged him to this level. And what are they going to do without Chris Paul? When yeah, in reality, Devin Booker has been yeah the player, and especially during the playoffs, it's really been leading things for them. So, just to give us some quick thoughts on, on Devin Booker's you know, maiden playoff appearances here and how well he has carried that load. I think you're right to say that it doesn't necessarily 
just get the the high high praise that other players have gotten whether that's Trey Young who's understandably just a more dazzling and exciting talent in terms of deep threes and and floaters and and he's small and it's it's just jumps off the screen a little bit more and Booker's game is more about angles and physicality and toughness and um, you know, more from the Jason Tatum, Kobe Bryant school is, is the comparisons that you'll hear for him more often. But um, he's been spectacular. And I think if you're looking into game five, he has responded in the biggest way in two moments where the Suns really needed him to. He had a 47 point closeout game against the Lakers on the road in the first round. And in game one of this series, when Chris Paul was out um, a 40 point triple double, which I'm sure many will remember. So that is probably closer to what the expectation should be than the eight of 22 we just saw him put up on Saturday, because the reality is he is this type of player who, when, when the, the, the lights are bright, whatever you want to say, he has been magical in, in all of those moments in what you like, just, just said rightly is his first playoff run. So um, it's, it's, pretty incredible for him to be the guy who they lean on in those moments, considering he's never been here before. But I think we will see that again on Monday night. Well, let's wait to see what happens on Monday night. It's going to be intriguing to see whether Phoenix can get their way back into the NBA Finals in the first time in a very long time. Brendan, you'll cover it for us all over on Locked On Suns. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's not just about the taste though, because Built Bar is remarkably healthy for you. These are bars with delicious flavors, but most of the flavors also 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and only four grams of net carbs. And the flavors, nine delicious flavors, plus they bring out limited time flavors, which are fantastic as well. Coconut, cherry, raspberry, double chocolate, salted caramel, that's just a selection of these flavors that are available. And if you don't know what your favorite flavor is, get a mixed box. You get 18 bars, two of each flavor. So you get to try and figure out which one is your favorite. So go to Locked On, or not, don't go to Locked On, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. The promo code is LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Now let's... Let's go to Portland to speak with the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike Richmond is here. And Mike, I was going to just start off just by talking to you about the fact that Portland uh, have got themselves a new head coach in Chauncey Billups. But as uh, a certain college football uh, commentator once said, or once repeatedly said, not so fast, my friend, because uh, a report coming out today from Chris Haynes um, is throwing a little bit of... um, accelerant onto a burning uh, ember of a fire in Portland regarding some of the stuff around Chauncey Billups. So let's just talk about what this Haynes report was saying about uh, about Damian Lillard and his potential dissatisfaction. Well, Chauncey Billups was charged in a rape case in 1997. Uh, that, he never went to court. He was never charged. He settled out of court in a related civil suit. Um, that information apparently was new to Damian Lillard when uh, the team moved to hire Chauncey Billups, but that information was not necessarily new to the fan base or perhaps it was well known. And Dame got a lot of flack for it on the internet. And, and then fast forward 24 hours later, maybe a little bit less, a report comes that that in, in relation to some of the backlash to the hiring of Chauncey Billups, Damian Lord is considering, he is eyeing the exit, considering uh, 
asking for a trade sometime in the future. And this is just like one of the things that that has this is the most recent thing that has led to it. Now, Damian Lillard's had a pretty sterling reputation from fans, other NBA players. He hasn't really faced any sort of backlash in his career at all. But there are a few things in this that just don't they don't add up to me. Like, first of all, and I think it hasn't really been mentioned in most of this discussion now, is Damian Lillard went out and was like, on the record, I want Jason Kidd to be my head coach. He told the same reporter who broke this story that he wanted Jason Kidd on the record hours after Terry Stotts was fired. Yes, he did. And in to say that, you know, did, did was he unaware of Jason Kidd's previous domestic violence allegations and um, organizational backstabbing and poor coaching record? Was he unaware of those things as well? And he said that. And, then be, and because of that backlash, which, again, Lillard had to be aware of because Jason Kidd basically came out and went, I'm not interested in the job because Portland hates me, clearly, because that was what the reaction was to that announcement from the lid. So did Dame not see any of that? And then he comes out and, you know, now he's claiming he was not involved in the hiring process at all when it seemed to be made clear that he was a huge part of the hiring process. And it's just, again, we all love Dame, but there's a lot of things that don't seem to be adding up with his with his story here on his knowledge and his involvement in in both the kid and now the Billups situation. Yeah, when Terry Stotts was fired, uh, this is the first week of June. Chris Haynes, same reporter who wrote the story we're talking about now, tweeted out that said sent out a tweet that said Damian Lord will have major input on the next head coach. Yep, major input. Uh, that was the same night that Damon Lord mentioned a candidate um, and, and and then told the athletic that he was it was Chauncey or Jason Kidd were his two choices. Um, then flash flash forward now three weeks later, almost a month later. Uh, now it's coming out and Dame like didn't know and wasn't involved. Uh, it was reported by ESPN that Damon Lord sat in on the second interview with Chauncey Billups. He was in the video conference in their second interview with Chauncey Billups. This strikes me as and part of my language here. Total bullshit, Josh. Yep. It's just it's just it just is what it is. Um, this, what I read this situation as is that Damian Lord wanted out. He's frustrated with the Blazers. He, he, he can do that independently. That's fine. And he saw this opportunity with the Chauncey Billups news and the backlash as a, as a chance to plot his exit strategy, start pointing the finger at a failed, failed leadership in the front office and use this as a moment to say, oh yeah, see, it's not my fault. They screwed up. So I have to leave. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I I think that, you know, planning an exit strategy is fine. But the thing with that, Mike, is that you could have pointed to any things that the front office did over the last three or four years <laughs> and said, see, it's not my fault. Like, look at these moves that they're making. I want out because of this. Not something that you know, involves... And we can, you know, and you said it before, you know, Chauncey Billups was never um, uh, found guilty. He settled out of court on, on that charge. And it was plenty of years ago. And this is not to say that there can't be rehabilitation or that people can't you know, move on and, and pay their price, all that sort of stuff. But we're talking about a job where there's 30 of them in the world. It is a high PR, high public facing role. And that's not to say Chauncey Billups should never work again or should be punished forever for this. But that sort of a look in that position to, you know, to be given that thing is not, he, he doesn't, just because he's paid his penalty doesn't mean he deserves you know, one of the most sought-after jobs in the entire world. Like you're not, you're not saying he's exempt from everything, but there's PR, there's public backlash, all that stuff that needs to be taken into consideration versus like, oh, well, now he's good, so he just has the, the same um, abilities as, as everyone else to, to get these positions. And the fact that, that Dame 
is sort of backtracking on this when there was plenty of reasons that he could have been like, I don't want to be here. Um, it, it's a, it doesn't it doesn't do it doesn't do him very well, I don't think, in the public eye. Or, or, or it, uh, it definitely should put some sort of a dent in his current sterling reputation. Yeah, I mean, anyone with ability to sort of like read critically and 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 remember events of three weeks ago can see that this is just this is blatantly Dame's decision, his next step to um, start shifting the blame to somewhere else so he can leave without getting, without appearing hypocritical. Because yep. like you said, he has this sterling reputation and much of his brand is about loyalty. And this seems to me to be, he's they're seizing on a bad PR moment from the organization to say, I tried to be loyal, but look how they, you know, look how they screwed it up. Um, and, and this is, this is, Damon Lord has four years left on his contract. I'll be surprised if he plays out two in Portland. Well, that was going to be my next question. Like, yeah, this is yeah, hinting towards a a split up between the two. Is it something that happens in the next three months, or is it the next you know, two years, or is it the, at the uh, trade deadline during the year? Like, what is the the timeline on this sort of a of a uh, separation? Do you think? I think typically we've seen stars get traded in the off season, um, just because yeah. you want to get. Like if you're getting a boatload of picks, you want them with like plenty of time to prepare for what those boatload of picks are going to look like. Um, so I I don't think it will happen this offseason, although at this point it wouldn't surprise me. The change in tone over the last three weeks has been dramatic and um, the offseason hasn't really started yet. <laughs> There's still four teams remaining in the playoffs. So my guess would it be next summer is when it gets really, really, really loud because four years is just a lifetime in the NBA. Like four, four year contract is, you know, nearly as long as you could possibly be signed anywhere. Um, so I think, it, I think it, the, what, I think how this gets resolved is it hangs over the Blazers head all year long and every move to scrutinize where, as in the way that was in New Orleans, like, uh Oh, is this, is this going to keep Dame? Is this going to, you know, are you going to help him do this, help him win a championship by this move and blah, blah, blah. And then next summer it gets really loud. And I think that's when we'll probably see a conclusion to this, but I would be surprised if it was a mid season thing uh, just based on how, for the most part, other than the James Hardens of the world, these sort of bigger trades have gone down. Yeah, that's generally been the pattern on them. I'll say one thing, though, that I think that while it is a tough contract to move and finding the matching salaries, considering yeah he's owed 40-plus million a year for four years, is a lot of money to try and uh, to try and match up. But the longer he does remain in Portland, if this is the inevitable conclusion of it, is that you're right, every move that gets made is like, is, are the Blazers making moves? Oh, should we make a move to try and get him to stay? Should we make a move to make our team you know, really go all in for one year and hope that we win a title while Dame is still here? And that can, yeah, that leads to a team signing Omar Ashek to pair right. with Anthony Davis when they're not ready. And that could, you, know, <laughs> you talk about hamstringing a franchise that you'll end up with no assets and then no Damian Lillard as well. And then some you know, bad picks or whatever in bad salary coming back. Whereas if you move on straight away, then you're not under that, oh, we have to still be looking to build around Dame. We still be needing to look to, to do this um, now versus if he's just gone, we go, okay, well, now he's gone. Let's What's the next step? Rather than like, well, the next step's coming, but you know, when is it coming and what do we do in the meantime and, and put yourself in that sort of limbo? I don't think they'll do that, but I can make a very easy argument, and I hope I just did, that that might be actually a, a better course of action. Yeah, tear the Band-Aid off. Yep. If, if, if you know what's going to happen, tear the Band-Aid off. Like um, a year in purgatory isn't going to help anyone and you could end up with, you know, electricity for your troubles. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens now, this report. Now, uh, one, I, I said one last thing, but I'll say one last thing again. Is there any chance that uh, Billups now doesn't get hired? 
I am under the impression that he's already signed his contract. Okay. So I, I, as we're recording this on Sunday, I believe he's, he's literally already put his name to the paper. I, I don't know all of the details. I don't know if that's a preliminary thing, but I'm under the impression from what I have heard from people close to the situation is that he's already, um, he's already signed the contract. So it would be, it would be quite a pivot at this point to, uh, to move in another direction. Well, it is a situation for us to monitor over the off season and then uh, seeing what Portland does with this now, uh, this, I say not new news, but uh, yeah, something that's been percolating and uh, yeah, coming to the fore now, Mike, you'll have it for us all over on Locked On Blazers. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. Right across the Locked On NBA network, we have got our NBA playoffs coverage, and that's brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it at 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. The NBA playoffs are coming to a conclusion. The Stanley Cup finals are ready to go. And you can track all of the action at BetOnline. Before the next puck drop, before the next tip-off, before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the championship. Head to that website or use your mobile device to sign up today using our promo code Locked On and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online are your online sportsbook experts. Let's now bring in the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Kane Pittman is here. Milwaukee Kane, uh, after dropping game one, have come out and uh, and taken the lead in the series. Two games to one over the Atlanta Hawks. They win game three on Sunday, 113-102. Uh, how big was Chris Middleton? Yeah, yeah, he was huge. I mean, he he. When you really think about the postseason run that Chris Middleton's had, you think about Game One where he hit the game winner against Miami. You think about Game Six where he had 38 in a win or go home situation against the Nets. Then he hit the game winner in Game Seven overtime, and then tonight, 20 points on the road in the fourth quarter, 38 all up for the Bucks to get over the top in a game where. I think if you're a Bucks fan, you were probably feeling pretty frustrated throughout. Milwaukee looked like they were able to get what they wanted offensively, but they still could not hit an outside shot. And it was Middleton that that really got them over the hump there because they were, they were threatening from early in the second quarter, but it took a obviously a monster effort from Chris to get them over the line. So I haven't obviously spoken to you uh, on this podcast since game one where the Hawks got the jump on the Bucks, but uh, the last two games in Milwaukee seemingly righted the ship, especially, you know, the big one in game two. Have they figured out what perhaps went wrong in game one and, uh, and work through that? Or is it still up in the balance? Do you think? Well, I think the Bucks have done a pretty damn good job defensively over game two and game three. Even tonight, Trey Young has 35 points and obviously we should acknowledge, I mean, the injury to him is one of the most unlucky things I, I can really remember seeing, but he, he was fantastic, but I think ultimately you had to tip your hat to him on a lot of the shots that he was making. Some of the floaters were just just contested and incredible shots. He was hitting deep threes. So I think when you're going up against a player like Trey Young, you have to say, okay, if they're going to hit those shots, those are still the shots that we want him to take. So I thought the Bucks have done a great job defensively in game two and game three. Um, it's just been offensively. I mean, I think they've figured it out that they can get whatever they want in the paint and to get them really over the top, they just need to hit some threes again tonight. It was only 11 for 29, which is only 37%. And that includes, obviously, the huge fourth quarter from Chris. So to me, it still feels like the Bucks have got the Hawks outmatched uh, talent-wise, no doubt about it. But it's whether or not they can take advantage of the looks that they're getting because it does feel like they're getting whatever shot they want. Now, the part of the criticism of Mike Budenholzer in the past, Kane has been playing a regular season rotation in the playoffs. 
He seems to have learnt that lesson, belatedly, but you know, 42 minutes for Middleton, 41 for Giannis, 42 for Holiday. Um, how's Brook Lopez you know, travelling in this series? Because he didn't play a huge amount in, in today's game, only the 25 minutes. Is that a thing that's going to be an issue, you think, moving forward in this series, that the, the Hawks are going to limit Brooks' playing time? Is it going to be more small ball? We had you know, 15 points from 17 minutes from Bobby Portis in this game. Like, Is that a, a concern with the lower minutes for Lopez? I don't think so, because I think if you look at game two, uh, Brook, if it wasn't a blowout, would have been up over 30 minutes there. I thought defensively he was huge. In this game, I think Bud probably got to the point where he looked at it, where Trey Young was making those difficult shots anyway. So then he was looking for a little bit more versatility on the offensive end, whether it was Bobby Portis, who had a big impact again, or Pat Connaughton played 32 minutes for offensive rebounds, uh, made a couple of big defensive plays, a big block in transition. So I, I think that for Bud, as you pointed to, oftentimes gets criticized for not making the adjustments quick enough. I think in this series from game one through to game three, we've seen that he's willing to pull the different levers that make sense during the game. So I think Bud deserves a little bit of credit for that. But I think with Brook, it's going to come down to uh, whether Trey Young is making those tough shots in game two. They could get away with it because he was obviously having an off night tonight. I think it made sense to go with a versatile, smaller lineup. Yeah, one of those lessons that uh, Bud has learned is to not play Jeff Teague. He was only in for uh, the last 21 seconds of the game. So that's a that's a strong decision there. Um, how's uh, Yanni going at the moment? Another poor night from the free throw line. He was just 6 of 13. Getting to the line 13 times is is uh, is obviously strong. But is he, would you say, is it his dominant best? Has he got another gear to go here to really... Because the Bucks they're in prime position now 2-1. Like, it's not, the series is not over. But, you know, to get the Bucks over this hump and then over the next hump, does he have an extra gear to go? I mean, possibly, but if you look at his numbers across the series so far here against the Hawks, he's averaging well over 30 points, uh, over 10 rebounds, five or six assists. Um, I don't have the averages after this game three in front of me here. But again, tonight, he was 12 for 19 from two-point range. He missed a couple of layups that you expect that he's normally going to take. But overall, I mean, he is outmatching Atlanta. They don't really seem to have any answer for him down low. Again, people are going to talk about the shot selection. They're going to talk about the the threes and certainly the free throws. But ultimately, you're seeing a guy that I think feels very comfortable that he can get into the paint and dominate this team and facilitate if he needs to for the team to knock down some shots. So it's hard for me to say he has a nulla gear when he's already averaging the numbers that he is. Um, but certainly, I mean, he's leaving some points at the free throw line. This has been a talking point. It always will be with him. He's inconsistent, but overall, he's been pretty dominant. Last thing I want to touch on here is Drew Holiday, who again had another absolute stinker of a shooting night. 18%, 6 of... Uh, six of uh, Not of 11. Yeah, 6 points, sorry, on uh, 2 of 11 shooting, which is horrendous, but yeah, bringing the defensive numbers, he had 12 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks. His playoff shooting numbers have been poor right across. He is now at, um, what, 43% from the field, and that's down from over 50% in the regular season. Is it defenses guarding him differently is under 30% from three or is it just what, what is it with this real drop-off in holidays shooting throughout the playoffs yeah, it's interesting I was talking to someone about this yesterday you think about the defensive jobs that he's had obviously James Harden last series when he came back in before that it was Kyrie Irving and then in this series obviously it's Trey Young I do wonder whether there's a little bit of fatigue when you look at the jump shot in particular, because again, he's another guy that I think when you're watching this series in particular, you see physically, he feels pretty comfortable, whether it's Bogdanovich, whether it's Trey Young, he feels that he has the physical size to be able to get to the spots on the floor that he wants. So yeah, I, I do wonder if it's a little bit of fatigue because he's been a reliable jump shooter through the regular season. Certainly game one and game two, it's like, okay, Drew Holiday might be back. He's hitting some shots. He hit some threes. I think he was 50% 
from three across game one and two, but certainly dropped off again tonight. I think as long as he's still facilitating, you mentioned the 12 assists, then you're still getting the value in the half court, which is why the Bucks wanted to acquire him. But, I mean, there's no question. I mean, if you could cut down on Drew Holiday shooting two for 11, you would feel a bit better about this offense. And in some ways, it's symptomatic of why the Bucks still feel like they're leaving a lot of points on the table. Well, the, the Bucks have the opportunity now to try and close out this series. They'll want to do it early so they don't get a rest disadvantage if they are to go through against uh, the likely opponent being the Phoenix Suns, who are in position to close out their series. And uh, you'll have it all for us, Kane, over on Locked On Bucks over game. Game four, game five, and anything else that needs to come in the future. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure, mate. And that does it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to follow uh, this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on the Odyssey app. Give us a five-star rating and review. That's a great way of helping out the podcast. Share it around to your friends as well. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. And you can also follow the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On Pods over on Twitter. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.